we're back. It's been a while. We've been on sabbatical for a while, and now uh, trout season is once again upon us. All the hopes and the uh, fun that await us. And so to kick us off, we've got Peter Jones. Um, we've got uh, my regular cohorts, Glenn Everly and Richard Perry. And uh, Peter, welcome. Glad okay. you could make it, mate. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'd say the South Branch had a big uh, influence on my life and where I was going to spend the rest of it from 1972 on. And uh, at that time we used to camp at Canoe, Canoe Harbor and uh, made friendships sort of, uh, that I've got to this day. Um, one of those friendships uh, has passed and his, his name was Jim Love, Lovelace. And he was in the plating business down in Plainwell, Michigan. And at that time, Jim had been married five times. <laughs> he liked wedding cake. Mm. And uh, he had a Porsche in 1958. And he says, I had enough. And he says, I took out West for the summer. And he says, it's 68 now. He says, I was doing this 30 years ago. You guys are just finding this stuff. But Jim was one of these guys. He loved fishing the South Branch. Uh, he loved fishing streamers. And uh, his other favorite place was the North Branch. And at that time, I hadn't, I hadn't fished the North Branch. All I knew was the name of the North Branch. He, and I said, well, I don't know beans about it. He says, oh, the North Branch is just one of those special places. He said, if you go over there fishing, he says, I said, well, where do I start? He says, well, you can start at the, the bridge in town or the bridge upstream. He said, or there's a bar there. He said, if you park next to the bar or in the parking lot of the bar, you can make yourself way down to the river and just fish upstream or fish downstream to the bridge and come back. But he said, if, if you like dry fly fishing, uh, go upstream. And at that time, there were no cabins, chalets, or anything else on the right side of the river looking up. There was one chalet uh, very close to the access point, which is about a quarter of a mile, third of a mile up above the islands. Um, but you had it to yourself. So I'm walking up through... Uh, these aspen popple at little forest near the near where the island is upstream from the bar and this damn bird uh, a grouse i find later goes <laughs> up in front of me and it was about five minutes where i got my heart back into a normal rhythm <laughs> i didn't know what the heck it was that uh, it got me but uh here we are 30 odd years, 40 years later, and I can still remember the act <laughs> that day. But uh, that was my. A bit like a helicopter coming out at you? Oh, jeez, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it, it, was, it was quick, sudden, and violent, you know. And, uh, Perfect. And that, that thing owned me. And uh, that was my first time on the North Branch, and I would. I, I just loved the North Branch. My wife would say, you know, um, you go to the North Branch, even if you haven't caught very much or anything, he says, you come back and you've had a nice time. And I said, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, that, that's where I found the North Branch, and then I found a few more access points. And uh, it, it, it is one of those special places. 
and it it does it, it is one of those special places and, and to this day i i like fishing the north branch very very much in between the bridges oh yeah and there's cabins everywhere and there's been a, a few more gone up and land has been cut in half and uh that but it, it, it's still one of those special places you you know i haven't found anywhere that's like the north branch it just it, it just isn't it's wonderful waiting um as long as i can still cast a fly rod uh, i think i'll be uh fishing the north branch is the last best place forever nice um, it the waiting is easy um i met a fellow who, who who used to come out from massachusetts every year his, his family had a place in um, Traverse City, and, and uh, we could stay there for a month, and I would fish the Manistee, and he fished Massachusetts, and he said, you know, if I lived in Michigan, I could fish another 10, 15 years, he says, because I'm, I'm, I'm walking over rocks all day, rocks that move and rocks that are sharp and some that are smooth and covered with crap. Here, I've got sand and gravel. I can go forever, and if I fall <laughs> down, I can get up again. Exactly. They're going to come out bloodied and messed up. Your yeah. French is spoiled. You guys don't know what you got. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. It's it's pretty special. And I I don't think we sometimes we do realize what we've got. You know, it's uh, it it is a, a special place, and I and I would fish the South Branch um, from seventy seventy two on, but really got going in seventy three. And we camped there for oh, most weekends other than 75 when I was finishing up at University of Windsor. And then we would leave Friday morning, Pip would have the car packed. We'd be on the road. We would pick our trailer up at, from Larry and Jones' I Forgot It store, <laughs> go down to the harbor, get set up, see friends, or fish, fish that Friday night. Fish Saturday, fish Sunday, fish part of Monday, and I had a class on Tuesday morning, and I would, we would either leave Monday afternoon or early Tuesday morning, so depending on the You were the still feelings. in Canada then? Yeah, we were still in Canada, uh, commuting. Um, commuting, yeah. Now, and, uh, your, just, your wife just, commuted across the bridge to work every day, Yeah, right? she did. We, Pip, Pip lived, we lived in Windsor, and she worked at uh, Henry Ford Hospital in, in Detroit, West Brown Boulevard. Oh. And she'd take some stick about, well, you come from Canada every day? She says, yeah, it's a, from my house to here, it's about 12 miles. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a quicker commute than some of the people that were in state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it, it was a good time for us. So, so originally you're from Wales? Wales, and yeah. And from as they, as Manchester? Nah, no, I'm, I'm from North Wales. And... Uh, the Welsh are a pretty small race as far as population goes. We have only been up to about 11 million, and uh, 9 million of them are sheep. I thought you watched a lot of British TV in Wales. Seems to be an interesting place. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the fishing's, I've always been interested. Not interesting, interested is not a, a really strong enough word. I've always been fascinated with fish and fishing and yeah, you know, well, you know the first time you you look at a brook trout and you're just going, my God, I'm holding a Fabergé egg. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's just... I mean, it just, 
it, North Branch I would go, and that's where I found the Brookings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, aside from fishing, you, you've developed a passion for, for rod making as well. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been all, always kind of fascinated with fishing tackle. And the rod making thing started with fiberglass poles. And I, I lived on the coast in Britain and Wales. So uh, we had a lot of surf fishing. And we're fishing for a striped bass. The striped bass over there, a good one, five, six pounds. Uh, we've got none of the behemoths that are on the, the East Coast here, okay. 40 and 50 pound guys. Okay. And, uh, but I, lo I loved surf fishing and we went up and down the coast fishing. And um, The trout fishing in Britain, you, 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 there's two parts of the problem. You've either got to inherit it or you, you need, a, you need a, a license to fish and that's put out by the local riverboard DNR type folks. Okay. And then the big one is you need a permit to fish. That's somebody who owns the land. And that gets a little tough because, you know, you, you, you're fishing water in farms or fields or rivers that have, you know, people been batting around for three, four hundred years or more. And there's a strong agricultural presence in just about any damn river I, I've been in in Wales. You know, there's sheep, there's cows. Uh, there's always somebody wants to share the river with you and uh, the local angling clubs in different areas would do the deals with local farm owners or landowners by the river and make it available to uh, to their members or or sell day tickets on it I, I'm from a little town called Rill it's on, it's on the north coast and we had a group called Rill Angling Club and uh, it took me two years to get a membership and uh, you had interviews and stuff like that whether your face fit and they had seven sections of river and a little trout lake that was stocked and if you wanted to fish any of those waters except one an, an area called Gypsy Lane which was on uh, the Cluid, um, you had to book it you had to book it a day in advance or five days in advance. You could only book one area at a time. So you couldn't hog the... the couldn't front load the whole the, schedule? Or no, you couldn't. You had to have your day and then go back and then find out what was available and go Well, there. it makes it good for everybody else to get a fair shot. Yeah, and yeah. The, the, the different waters had different limits. It was between, depending on the water, uh, the small area was a mile. Uh, the smallest area was probably about a half a mile. They would allow two people a day. And if you fished it and then you went home, you know, it was still two people a day, you know. And, uh, and that, that's how I'd fish. And it was, it was very reasonable fishing, very, very reasonable cost. And you, you, you had a good experience in the sense that, you know, you weren't fighting for the water. If you'd booked it, you had it, you mm -hmm. know. And, uh, that there's a lot of good things about that. Now, are you casting to wild trout or to... Yeah, wild trout. Okay. For the most part, wild trout. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And uh, those those rivers are also have uh, Atlantic salmon in uh, spring and uh, sometimes in the fall a little bit. 
uh, and then sea trout in the summer, which would be like, oh, kind of a, like a migratory brown trout, kind of like a rainbow, kind of a steelhead type okay. situation. Smaller than salmon, a um, lot of night fishing. That's where I got my introduction to night fishing, um, fishing for sea trout. And uh, it's a good way to fish. It, you know, fishing's fishing, you know. <laughs> And uh, so that 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 was uh, well. That's Wales. Um, I've been back a few times. Uh, my oldest fishing friend I met on the River Cluid in a little town called Ridland, and has a an old dilapidated castle that was built about a thousand years ago by I think Edward the <laughs> First. And uh, I met a guy fishing there who was about the same age as me. Turns out he is the same age as me. And we were both 13, beginning fly fishermen, and we're still pretty good friends. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I left Britain and when I was 20. He went on to uh, have a career with the Metropolitan Police. And he retired probably about 25 years, 25, 30 years ago. But he stayed there. He's still in Britain, but he's the most well-traveled guy I know. He's, <laughs> he Has he come fish with you here? Yeah, we fished there. I went back, last time I was back there, we fished for, uh, for about a week together. Nice. Yeah, we went to fish the Y in uh, South Wales. We went to fish... Uh, a reservoir in in the north. Uh, trying to think where else we went fishing. Um, yeah, just good fishing. Yeah. Just just oh, we went fish the Dove, which is our chalk stream, and he he, he finagled access for us to go there, just down the road from Stonehenge. That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Uh, it was for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a tiny river. You know about. Smaller than, uh, way smaller than the North Branch, about a little bit smaller than the Manistee. Okay. And you, you know, you like walk. Big, big Creek. Yeah, Big Creek, that's about it. And yeah. it's, it's the Dove, and he had, uh, it's, it's near Thomas Hardy country, um, Dorchester. And, um, Isaac Walton River, too. Yeah. Isaac, yeah. And just, just nice fishing, you know. I, I had a, I took a head and rod with me, and um, oh, what's the other one? A Powell. And um, I thought, well, I'll take two rods just in case we get some nice little fishing. And uh, the 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 head and I brought back, and the Powell graphite stayed there. And uh, I came back with a Paison Michel. Eight footer, one piece made by Foster's. Uh, we did an exchange. I, I, I think I got the better of the deal, but uh, <laughs> the, it wasn't love. And then, uh, as things move on, the the little um, Hazan Michelle rod I've got is now uh, being taken care of by uh, Pete Matthews in Kalamazoo, and I'm taking care of his eight foot five Hazan Michelle Fario club for a seven line and uh, just because I like casting lines. So, you know, th stuff comes and stuff goes and uh, it's just well, fun stuff. Well, you've, you've had, 
the rug making? Yeah, I was. I, I think for our for our listening audience, it it would be fair to say you've had more than two or three rods pass through your hands oh, over the gee, time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible disease. And uh, <laughs> my my friend Glenn, who was the Welsh guy that I met when he was thirteen, and he'd say, you know, you got stuff, you got this stuff. He says, he says, I know, I know, guys in England have got this. He says, they make it the life's work of collecting tackle. And he says, he says, the proper popular phrase is all the gear, but no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but see, you, you, you get, to, you're, you're the exception to prove the rule then. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, I, I can remember when I saw my first uh, bamboo rod and I, I, I can see it today. I would be about eight or nine years old fishing off the dock wall where, where the cluid is tied up to my place called Ridland. And this guy, he, he was an old guy, shit, he must have been about 18 or 19, I was about eight. <laughs> and the bamboo stuck in my mind. And uh, my first decent bamboo rod was a Sharps uh, 79. Um, I left Britain in 68. And... Uh, Oh, you know, the, the money was easier here than it was in Britain. And uh, I would be going back every six months, every year um, for a trip and see folks and just go. And well, one trip, my dad said, uh, uh, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm going to go see this rod. Um, it's a Sharp 79. He says, what's special about it? I said, it's just a nice bamboo rod. They, they make good rods. And he says, well, if you, if you go, he says, I'll put some money in towards it. And I thought, oh, oh what happened here, you know? <laughs> and uh, sure enough, my dad gave me some money for this uh, Sharp 79. It's a five or a six. And uh, I passed it on to my son last year. Nice. And I don't know whether it comes out of the case anymore, but I wanted him to have it. That's awesome. So, you know. A, a great rod and then you get back here and then oh you know you 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 the first michigan fly fishing club meeting for bamboo rods was called the bamboo rod revival and i think it was around about 75 this is this is the precursor for all the michigan fly fishing club and that was bamboo rods and i i went there and i was blown away of the stuff that uh, was this guy Paul Young and another guy Dickerson. They talked about Paynes, Leonard's. I had no idea what the hell the names were or who they were. Uh, but you dig into it a little bit and uh, you know, you think, oh, well, I'd like that or I can do that. So, um, so that's what you do. You know, you find out, you read, uh, somebody's got one or you take it. And what, what I found with bamboo rods is Sometimes the reputation is way better than the rod, and um, some are way soft, and some are like frog spears, but the, that's <laughs> the rarity. And um, my first, this would be 1979, I was in, we'd moved to Saginaw, I went to a TU banquet, and um, amongst the auction items was a Leonard, and I didn't know beans about Leonard, but people said, hey, they're good, they're good rods. This was a nine-foot tournament rod, 
and um, it was slow. It was soft, but I had the money, and it was burning a hole in me. Uh, so I bid, and I got it for the for the princely sum of a hundred and forty bucks. And after it, a uh, guy comes up to me, happened to be Art Newman, and he said, "You know what you got there, young man?" I said. Fishing rod? He said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he says, you should, do, you should do some reading. It's a very nice rod. It's a Leonard. It hasn't been fished much. It was in a somebody's store here for 30, 40 years, and they hadn't fished it, and they donated it to TU. Hmm. He said, so fish it. Enjoy it. And that, that night is where, where I first met Art Newman, and we, we, we became friends. And... Uh, I started bugging Art about bamboo rods and all sorts of stuff. But I bugged him about bamboo rods for a lot of years because Arthur had a, a, a strong, um, how do I say this, friendship, business dealing with Paul Young. And Art was making, Art never made blanks, um, but he had a tackle company in Saginaw that he told me he started just after the war. And he had met Paul Young and they, they were friends and he had these Paul Young blanks that Arthur would buy and he would make the rod up. And uh, he said, I'd go to Detroit and uh, pick these blanks up. And he said, there's one interesting story Bob Summers told me. He said, uh, Art would come down to our store. He said, and uh, he knew what he, he knew what he was looking for, and we'd give him this, these blanks or later send some up to him. He says, and one time we did this, we, he, Art sent two of them back. And I said to Paul, this is Bob Summers, he said, I said, why the hell is he doing this? Why are we selling our good stuff to him? He says, it's Art. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says, yeah, Art's Art. He's fine. Just, just give him what he wants. So Art had these Paul Young blanks, midges, perfectionists, princess, Martha Marie's, and I think he shop on Sheridan Road. What a guess. Um, what a guess, Rajka. Yeah. Saginaw backwards. Yeah. Art had these Paul Young blanks where everybody could see them. You, you could see them. We were. Basically, we didn't know it, but we were the trout and the Paul Young blanks were the bait because he never sold one to us. I could never get one out of him. And uh, there was one time there was a bank president of Second National Bank, which Arthur, Arthur knew all these guys. He knew everybody. He, he knew these guys. He had a bunch of rods, and I think that they came from a fellow called John Sweeney who was one of the original to you guys up with George Griffith. And there were Dickersons, I think, and Orvis, and there were mostly Dickersons. And it might have been a Paul Young. And Arthur had put a sales slip up for these. So this is about, I'm going to say 1980, 81, somewhere around now, 82. And he'd listed these, and he didn't think they were worth a hell of a lot. He thought Paul Young was the best. So there were Dickersons on that list for 80 bucks. Oh. And <laughs> funnily enough, they sold very, very quickly. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> to Arthur's chagrin. Uh, 
and uh, that was it. Uh, <laughs> I could never get a Paul Young blank out of him, a Paul Young rod, but um, as, as luck would have it, uh, after we'd moved, where we'd, we'd come up here to the Manistee, and uh, my kids were growing up, and my wife was working for uh, Carroll Regional Center, which is a facility for uh, state folks that need a bit of help out in Carroll. And I'd normally come up here on a Friday night, and this night she said, you know, the kids are going to be around. I'm going to be gone at working all day. Uh, you better stay home this weekend. And I said, it's, it's like this is brown break time. Are you serious? <laughs> and she says, yeah, it won't hurt you for once. Just stay. If you can get away in the week, go. But she says, somebody should be around the kids today. I said, oh, shoot. okay, fine. So I stay home, and it's Saturday morning. Pip, Pip left early, and I got up, and I, Friday night's paper is still there. And I usually, for years, I went to the Saginaw News hunting and fishing paper for looking for something. I don't think I found anything in a 20-year stretch. <laughs> but this morning, I opened it up on the fishing pages and it said, Wanagas, bamboo rods, six foot three to nine foot, call such and such and such. I damn near died. This is Friday night's paper and this is Saturday morning about eight o'clock. <laughs> so I thought, oh hell, everything's gone. You know, my my heart just sank. I knew what the 6-3 was. I didn't know what all the other stuff was. So I called the guy up, and he says, do you know what time it is? I said, yeah, it's, it's Saturday morning early. He says, yeah, I'm, still, I'm just getting up. You woke me up. I said, well, you had an ad in the Saginaw News last night. He says, oh, yeah. And I thought, my heart just dropped out of me. I thought, everything's gone. I said, you got anything left? He said, yeah, they're all here. I said, can I come and see them? <laughs> so he said, uh, yeah, but he says, you know, can, can I get dressed first? Mm. He says, I'm, I'm in Saginaw, where are you? I said, I'm in Saginaw. He says, well, get, come over here for about nine o'clock or so. So I said, okay, fine. I get over there, I'm about quarter to nine, one of the few times I've been early in my life for, for just about <laughs> anything. And uh, I see all the tubes there, and I, I don't know what. He says, well, these are expensive. These are all from Wanagas. Art made them up for me. And I said, oh, okay. I said, when you say expensive, what, what are we talking about? He says, well, they're 500 bucks. I said, okay. I said, can I see that six foot three one there? Because that's, I think, a, what he calls a midge. He says, yeah, sure, open it up. I like mint. I don't think it ever had a line on it. <laughs> I said, well, 500 for this? He said, yeah. He says, and I'm not budging. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, how, how about the next one up? Next height was a seven footer, which uh, the bank guy wouldn't sell me. I said, it's about a five. You could put a six on it. And uh, I looked at that, but it said, you know, I knew it was a young black, and I thought, okay, I can have that. I'll have that. There's two. And we gradually go through the rest. And there's uh, two rods that I thought were headings, 
and they were seven one was seven and a half three piece and the other three piece plus two tips and um, the other one was an eight footer so I thought well you know uh, 500 and I said how about these and you want more for these or less he says no everything's 500 bucks he says I'm, I'm not budging if you want them if I, I said okay fine 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 so we go through this and there were eight rods and to cut a long story short I uh, I said okay I've got I think I had about 2500 bucks with me I said uh, I'll, I'll take the five and a few flies hang on to the others I'll come back for them I'm gonna go to the credit union and if they're open I'll be back Monday with the cash here's a check for the rest hold everything I'll be back miraculously the credit union was in and we had enough money in the savings that I could scoop 2500 out of it so I did that and I went back and I picked up the eight rods and he had a, a, a little spinning little bamboo spinning rod and a little lama glass four and a half foot two-piece uh, Super Z ferrules spinning rod and I thought I said that can't be a lot of money for that no he says I'll, I'll few bucks I'll get that and he says and I know the bamboo spinning rods aren't worth a whole hell of a lot he said a oh, hundred bucks for that I said okay so bang so around about thirty four thirty five hundred bucks later I scoop all this stuff and I went home and I I was in close to heaven and I'm justifying spending four and a half thousand on my wife's, wife's work on Saturday mornings dealing with crazy people from the state of Michigan. <laughs> so I thought, you know, shoot, I'm going out. So I get in the car, I get, I put all the rods in the car and I drove out to Carol to see her. I said, hey, I got to talk to you. She says, well, what's wrong? I said, nothing, everything's right. I said, I bought some rods today. She said, yeah, okay. Like what? I said, well, they're all water gas rods. She said, this is direct, direct quote. She says, was it a good deal? I said, oh yes. She says, you got enough money? I said, I do after I went to the credit union. And uh, she says, well, fine. The woman's a princess. I've been <laughs> worshiping her every day since she's it was the best investment she ever made she gets tea in bed in the morning her meals cooked her dishes washed i'll even fold laundry <laughs> she's probably glad for you to go north on the weekends after that <laughs> so still got the rods still got the wife and uh i tell people that and she said she didn't say anything like you crazy son of a pup i said no she said is it a good deal? I said, oh yeah. I said, the, the two Paul Youngs are worth the rest of what I, of what I got. I said, and, and I can sell them, whatever. Well, they're Great still story. here. 20 years odd, 20 odd years later, they're still there. Oh, Great shoot. story. That's <laughs> awesome. So that's, that's, that's the acquisition part of my fly fishing uh, rod stuff. Um, the bamboo making stuff, started about 25 years, 25, probably 30 years ago now, where my fishing partner at the time, Ed Nemanek, who was a teacher at uh, Delta, decided that he was going to make uh, a bamboo rod 
and uh, I bought the Garrison book at the time, which was um, Hoagy Carmichael and Everett Garrison, uh, Rodmaker's book. That was the big deal. Yeah, and I, that, that was that. So I, was, I didn't have any of the, this is the early 80s, or around about 80, 81, 82, and like, hell, there was, there was no money in Michigan. People were moving to Texas and all sorts of places just to get a job. And my wife uh, was working for the state, and that was good for us. It was great for us. And um, you start thinking about making rods, and you you got to think about how you're going to make them, and you need equipment, and you need a planing form, and then you need a plane or two, and then you need something to sharpen them. And there's, there's various levels of what you can get into with how much money you want to spend or how much you think you need. And uh, I, I didn't have any money. I had enough money for a plane. And uh, I had sandpaper on a glass plate that I'd sharpen the blade with. And I had a big uh, screw that I would screw into the blade to get to the right angle and, and go at it. And and my, my, my friend Ed made some nice rods, and he had all the equipment, thanks to uh, Delta's machine shop. Um, but I didn't have any, any equipment for, for a good few years after that. And then I bought my first planing form, and, and that was a revelation. And then I'd met a guy years ago called Mark Fitch, and he was in Linwood. In fact, he's still in Linwood. And he was making bamboo rods, and I said, I need some help. I said, I don't, I have a, I don't have any much of equipment. He says, well, I got equipment. He says, sir, you can use my stuff. He says, come here. I said, you sure? He says, yeah, absolutely. So I started going to Mark Fitch. It took me about a year to make the first rod, and I think it finished it about 83, 84. And thanks to Mark Fitch, I wouldn't have done it. I probably had, oh, a few thousand miles of driving, 28 miles to Linwood, 28 miles back. <laughs> and uh, and Mark Fitch, he had paid patience of a saint. And, uh, and he said, uh, he, he, he babysat me through this, making this rod, and I probably had a hundred hundred over a hundred hours and uh, God knows how many miles. <laughs> uh, but I still got it. I built a, a Dickerson taper 7613. That means in Dickerson language, it's a seven foot six rod with size 13 ferrules, 13 64ths, and um, cast a five weight. You can push it to a six if you need. Because when I was looking at the numbers in uh, where I got the numbers for the taper, the tapers the taper numbers jumped down about 20,000, and I thought, this can't be right. It's either a, a copy, it's either somebody screwed up, or Dickerson screwed up, or the guy writing the book, Jack Howell, screwed up. But why is there a 20,000th drop at the ferrule between the top of the butt and the butt of the tip? Well, it turns out there's a thing in rod making called step-down ferrules. And I didn't know a damn thing about step-down ferrules. So I thought, okay, I've got these size 13s. The, the butt fits fine, but the, the tip is going to rattle around a little bit in that. <laughs> so I put a little bit, little bit more bamboo into, into, the, into the tip of that rod and uh, 
smoothed it out, still fishing it, still like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of goes to show there's, there, while there may be a preferred way, there are many ways to get to the goal. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's awesome. Now, you, you've, if I'm not mistaken, you've gathered a little acclaim as a caster as well. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated with it. And uh, there's a thing called the uh, Demarest Rodmakers Challenge, which is at the Catskill Center and uh, out in New York. And what that is, is guys will build a, a rod to a certain specification. And then those rods are put on a rack and you, and you cast rods. And uh, may or may not be your own rod. Oh, it won't be your own rod. You can't cast your own rod. Okay. You, they, they say you're a, if you're, if you're a maker, you can't cast your rod. But there'd be 100, 150 people there, and there'd be about 20 rods, 25 rods, something like that. And the first time I went there, um, first year it was there, uh, I think I was third or fifth. Uh, second year I was second, and third year I was first. And then... I thought, okay, this is good. These guys are getting younger. They've got muscles in their shirts. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting decidedly older. Uh, so I think over the years I've taken first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a fun thing. You, you, you learn a lot. I did the um, fly casting clinic with uh, Bruce Richards. Who, who's my uh, casting hero? Well, this was that's, about that's a heck of a hero. To <laughs> this was about 25 years ago, and um, Bruce had a deal where he was uh, teaching fly fishing classes uh, at the Wellston Inn for a guy called Frank Lenzian, and um, so we were talking one time, and he said, uh, "How about?" How about coming out, giving me a hand with, with these classes? He says, John Van Dalen from Midland is going to be there. He said, but I could do with a couple of helpers. And he says, yeah, you'll, you'll have fun. You won't make much money, but he says, you'll have fun. I said, fine, sign me up. So that, that's what started me with uh, Bruce Richards. And he said, you know, the, the America, what, the, what the hell is the fly? I can't think of the fly fishing group out west. FFF. Uh, Federation oh, sure. of Fly Fishers. He says they they've got a casting program, right right now for certification for casting, and you you know you should do that. You'll have to work at it a little bit, but he says you should do it. So, um, so I did it, and I got the FFF certification, and everything was fine for for about five or six years, and um, one year I missed it. I I was late sending my twenty five bucks in. And so I phoned him up, and I was I was way late. I was a, a year late. And I said, "Can I renew?" And she says, "Well, let me check." I said, "Well, I'm ha I'm happy to pay last year's fees and this whatever." She said, "Well, I'll just check." And she said, came back and he says, "No, you you got to take the class over again and do it all over again." And I said, "No, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> So we left it about there, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. So since then, I I was working with uh, Alda Sable Fly Shop. They had a deal where they were uh, providing teaching instruction for 
Boyne Mountain before before the Boyne folks put their own fly oh, yeah, fishing yeah, yeah, thing yeah. in. Okay. And they said, you want to do that? And I said, yeah. He said, pays 200 bucks a day. I said, yeah, I'll be there Wednesday, you know. So, <laughs> so I did that for about three years. I kept good records. Um, we had mostly graphite rods, eight and a half foot Reddingtons, and I, I eight and a half foot and nine foot Reddingtons. And I'd throw some of my little stuff in, like a, if I had little kids that were, you know, just small, but they wanted to go and they showed some interest, I'd, I'd put this System 4, which is 7 foot 2, uh, for a 4 weight, and they could handle that a little bit better. But if I had some obnoxious little rascal, mm. I'd pull that 9 weight 7 foot footer out for him. I thought, you know, five, five minutes of that, I'm going to You'll fix never it. enjoy this sport. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was really fun. That, that was fun. I did that for about three years at Boyne Mountain and Boyne Highlands. And uh, it was fun. It was fun. I, I, I have one night where nobody showed up. I have a couple of nights where one guy showed up. It was a rainy night, and I'd be there from six o'clock to eight o'clock unless they were still going strong in there. That was the most, the most I ever showed up. I had 25 or 30 people oh, wow. I'd show up. Jeez. And I'm just, there's just me. So you, you, you split them up, you get them in groups, and I say, you know, you gotta watch each other. And the idea is to not hurt anybody and uh, <laughs> just, just try to get the line out, go back, go forward, stop. And, you know, if you show any interest and you want to keep doing it, keep doing it. I'll be here as long as you want to be. And um, so that, that was fun and I enjoyed that. I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the teaching side of things. And with Old Osable, um, oh, they're in the business of guiding and I, I never fancied myself as a fishing guide. I'll take you fishing, but I, I don't want to guide you. I don't want that pressure. Right. You know, well, yeah. I'm much, much happier teaching you to cast or, yeah. you know, share the river with you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Do, do you, would, given the wealth of your knowledge as it comes to rods, is there, is there a particular maker or a, a particular rod that y you oh, would say, this is, this is it? No, that, that, there are, there are several, um, there are several. Um, Paul Young had a soft spot and I eventually, uh, uh, from my, my trip to the guy in Saginaw, I, I satisfied my Paul Young itch and I satisfied <laughs> my, my head and itch with, with Wanagas. Okay. And then, uh, two or th about three or four years ago, I bumped into a Grayling native who had a lot of stuff from Art's place, and he had a, a Martha Marie that Arthur had made up that was just mint. But it, it was a six-way, but that's fine. And I bought that. Uh, do I fish it? No. Um, I had a Paul Young, um, oh gosh, I had a Paul Young Midge, an original, uh, that I bought from a guy in Saginaw, and I, I was never fishing it. And then I had Arthur's midge. They cast roughly about the same, except Arthur's, Arthur's finishing was uh, was a lot better. And uh, I think our dark deck, 
after the winter storms and lice build up it crashed one time so uh, the midge went off to Japan and um, the money went into the deck and a few nights out and to pay some bills. There you go. <laughs> there and, you go. Uh, but you, you you say you get caught up on 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 anyone. Um, I'm at the stage where I like fishing rods that are made by friends because I've got I've got something in that in the sense that you know I know I know the guy uh, my so my friend Ed, Ed Nemanik, uh showed up couple about three years ago and he says I'm going through my my uh, stash so to speak and he says I got this little midge that I made and then I got this uh, seven foot garrison that I made in the in the 80s he said uh, do you want them I said absolutely I'll fish your oh rods. my gosh yeah so he gave me two rods and I, I said oh yeah he said tell me a damn thing I said that's fine. I said, "What are you, what are you fishing?" And he told me. I said, "Well, look, um, take this reel with you back." I said, "Because I, I can't just take this stuff." And uh, he went home with the San, uh, Ross San Miguel. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. That. I yeah. love that reel. Yeah. Well, that that's that that was a good story. Uh, Ed was the only guy I know that had made a scarf rod. That's like six eight ten inch twelve inches pieces of bamboo that are sharpened on both ends and then spliced together and then glued up together and then made into a rod Jeez. so wow. we got we got talking one day and he says you've got this equipment now can you make could, do you think you could ever go at making a splice rod i said i don't know i said i wouldn't mind trying he says well i've done one i said well okay what if we do it together? I, he said, okay, fine. I said, I got the bamboo. And I said, let's do it a little bit different because I'll mill the bamboo at an oversized length. Then I'll get it to where it's, uh, it's got the triangles, which you need. Because uh, you've got six triangles of uh, 60 degrees, 60, 60, 60, 180, or 360, mm -hmm. or 120. And, uh, we did. We decided on that, and I I did the first part, and, and then I shipped shipped off to him, oh, 12, 15 sticks that were oversized, no, probably 30 by the time we had butts and tips in there, and his job was to basically cut the nodes out. That's that bump in the bamboo, and um, do the splicing, put them back together, glue them back together, and then. Came back out to Michigan, and I had the planing plums, and we decided on building the 7613, and uh, that's what we did. We built two splice rods. So, in that line, was it tough sending it back, or was it pretty yeah, easy, easy because you knew what you were doing? Yeah, UPS. He knew he knew what he was going to get. I I knew what I was doing. We just, okay, so there we just did oversized pieces and. He was going to cut them up and make sure he had enough pieces, because by the time you cut them up, they're this this sort of length, you know. So so once, how's that cast? This cast really good. It's it's a little on the stiff side. It's a I, little, I think it's a, it'd be kind of neat. It's a little on the stiff side. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, just because of the... Yeah, but, it, you know, it comes down to tapers. You can take a little bit more off. There's probably a little bit more glue in it, stiffening up. Oh, okay. Um, but he's... He wrote a piece that I ran across, and he says it's my one of my favorite possessions, that rug that I that we did. Aww. And I've, I've got one there that's waiting for waiting for guides right now. <laughs> Handles on, sparrows are on, I just gotta wrap the damn guides on. And that's, I'm pretty sure that's gonna go to my son. Excellent. Yeah, I don't know which Great one. Stuff. Yeah, well, we're, good we're, stuff. We're what, a couple of months out from Grey Rock now? Grey Rock was June 17th, uh, this year yeah, it starts 17th yeah. or okay. 16th, somewhere yeah. there. Two you know, months, it, it's and again for the listening audience, uh, Richard and and Peter both have been involved with this for golly how long? Peter longer than I, and I've been, geez, I think I, 2000, yeah. well before I moved up here, so 2004, 2003 maybe. Yeah, we I started round about that. That's when we, when it was in, uh, the Rayburn Lodge. Yeah, over on, yeah, <laughs> Pool or Whippoorwill or whatever that road is, yeah. Richardson. Yeah, but the. Uh, well, you feel free to plug it. Um, if there's, if you're going to be in the area, are you, are, are you? Well, it's registered, and actually, we're going to cut. I think we're going to cut the registration. Cap it. The attendance off at around sixty, sixty-five this year because we're in a new venue and yeah, a lot of things have changed from the past. So okay, actually, it's you got to be registered to come. So don't come if you're not registered. Yes, but we've we've had guys from Ohio. Though we don't talk about them very much. <laughs> we ordinarily get Pennsylvania, 12, 17, 18 states, and yeah. it's not yeah. odd. We've had guys from Australia. Yep. Well, had one from Japan, one. Ireland, year. England. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, and it's, it, it's like old home week because a lot of these guys know, know names from online, from some of the forums, and uh, it's, it's a great time. It's just a great time. Well, I'm looking forward to it. This will be my first year attending, and I'm... It is. It's a, it's a great time. You know, just, you know, good time. Somewhat excited. <laughs> uh, you, we, we're talking... Uh, you asked me uh, rods that I would like, and or have I got a favorite. And about 10, 12 years ago, this guy shows up from Wisconsin. Tall, thin guy. And his name's Jim Sabota. And uh, I sold him a reel that weekend, a hearty lightweight. And he came to my place and we hung around and we had a drink and we, we just kind of hit it off. It was one of those magic times that, you know, you're, you're, you're simpatico with, with, with Like-minded souls. <laughs> yeah. And Jim was, we just hit it off. And, um, and uh, he's, he, he had a, he went to a rod gathering in Wisconsin uh, two and a half years ago and he had, he'd had a stroke. He'd been bat battling health problems and he'd mm. had a stroke. And uh, he's been sick for two and a half years and uh, I heard this morning from his son that he died last night. Aww. And Jim was um, just a wonderful guy. He was a mathematics professor, had a PhD out of Michigan State. He had he was a runner in his day. He had university records for a couple of years. And he had discovered a rod 
uh, made by uh, a guy called, Pennsylvania guy called um, Vince Marinaro. Mm. And it was a different type of rod, and Jim had figured it out. It, you kind of work backwards, finding ferrules to find what rods. And he made this rod seven and a half foot for a five weight. It, it's the most, it's, the, it's not hollow built, but it's the lightest feeling rod that I know of, of, of seven foot for five. I don't have one. I've made one for a friend. At least I made the blank for a friend. And uh, I don't have one, so. Is it the taper that makes it so special, Peter? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it, it does. Not that to hollow this. it out like it, the old Winston's, or? It's the taper. It's, it's a convex it taper. Yeah, not, not that popular. Mar Marinara was a, an attorney, tax attorney, in Pennsylvania, and, and he was a crusty bugger. You know, he didn't, so he didn't share like a lot the, of the stuff. The impression was that he was not a nice man. Oh, it was, a good, it was a great guy if you knew him. Uh, oh, okay. But he, but he, he didn't have time for fools. <laughs> well, he definitely had a good idea with the convex tapers. Yeah. Uh, I know Jim made them, and I made some, and they are, for performance, they get a lot wider, uh, lighter rod. And yeah. It works good. Oh, so now I've got to figure out how I'm going to get a Jim Sapota taper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is it, and we'll wrap up here because we've gone on a bit, but just out of my own personal curiosity, is that, how does that relate to um, uh, the Winston guy? Um, oh, my mind just went blank. Glenn? Huh? Glenn Bracken? No, before him, the uh, San Tom Francisco. Morgan? Tom Morgan? Before Tom. Um, that was Winston. That was... Uh, oh, oh, I can't think of the... Merrick. Merrick. Doug Merrick. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he have a technique of... Because they did competition rods. Yeah, they, they didn't did Didn't they hollow them? Yeah, they to, did. To they, make them... They, they did, but they, they were mostly... I'm, I'm thinking bigger rods for steelhead, and, and that's what they... Yeah, they were there. big ocean-going yeah. rods, yeah. Now... Uh, the guy who bought what you're talking about is the guy who bought that company was a guy called Tom Morgan. And he was out of, I think, Ennis. His family owned a motel at one time. And then he bought Winston and moved it to Twin Bridges and basically threw a lot of the old ideas out, went with his own ideas and started building rods and built, built a nicely successful company. Yeah. And... Um, Probably my favorite graphite rods, a Tom Morgan favorite. <laughs> yeah, oh, he made he made nice rods. He made yeah. he, I, Tom Morgan was one of these guys I think that was a very clever guy in a practical sense. He knew what the hell he was doing. He was a great caster fisherman, and he could turn it into his hands of what he wanted to build. You know, you've got rod makers that have all the skill in the world, but can't cast worth a damn. And that might sound okay. a little odd, but it, it isn't. There's uh, probably one of the, the used, used market rods is a guy called Sam Carlson, who was, I think, New Hampshire or area of Connecticut. And Carlson rods, if you can find one, are probably in the region these days of about four and a half, five and a half thousand dollars for mm. a trout rod. He was a big quad guy, too. He was a big quad guy. Sam Carlson never went fishing. He never fished. <laughs> That's wild. 
<laughs> oh, God. Wow, what a legacy. So you, you know, you run across these guys that just, just surprise the heck out of you. You know, Morgan was remarkable. I mean, even after he was ill, yeah. he was more or less a paraplegic. He was, you still call him up and he would talk to you on the phone and tell you things. Yeah. And was, he was yeah. a great guy. Well, his ability to communicate to his wife, the uh, yeah. nuances of what he was trying to achieve in different... If, 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 if you want a hero uh, or read about something that overcomes a lot of odds, Read, read, read stuff that people have written about Tom Morgan and what Tom Morgan has written, because uh, he had M MS and he, he had, you know, it was cause of close to uh, my eyelids are flicking, I can change the page type of deal. Um, absolutely nobody, um, muscle functions, they, they had gone and he was basically in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, the gal who were uh, his wife, and uh, I think they got married fairly mm -hmm. late in the both their lives. She was, she was a librarian from Escanaba, and wanted to change when she retired and moved out west. Met Tom Morgan, and they had a pretty damn good life together. Yeah, but she yeah. got a hell of a lot of work. Give, given the was, circumstances, a very she was the Tom really Morgan rod maker. Her name was uh, oh, yeah. uh, Jerry. Jerry. Carlson. Yeah, I think it's Carlson. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. What was her name? I can't think. There's a there's a beautiful article that somebody wrote. I'm gonna say, well, I'm horrible that way. Probably eight or ten years ago. Um, for oddly enough, ESPN. Okay. But the gentleman had gone out and and spent time with with Tom and Jerry. Okay, that's it, Jerry Carlson. It's yeah. it's an amazing, amazing yeah. piece of work. Yeah, it gives a good, nice insight, and just some of the, just the, yeah, the horribly brutal side of his disease, and the horribly artistic, amazing and the part of his mind. The brain was still working. Yeah, to, to, big time. To big get time. around. They had a, one of these oversized, big mini school bus taxis that was was white, and they called it Moby. Moby Dick. <laughs> and we were talking earlier about Bruce Richards. He moved from Midland to uh, Ennis, West Yellowstone. No, Ennis, Ennis, Ennis Bozeman. And uh, I got to know Tom on Yom over the years, and he, he became the designated driver for Tom and Moby. Wow, that's a good story. That's, yeah. it, that's it. Good stuff. Peter, thank you. You're welcome. This is a great way to kick off our season. Sure is, Peter. Thanks. Glenn, Richard, we've got, we've got a high bar to keep going. Yeah, so. We've got to start at a, hell of a, at a hell of a level. Yep. Good stuff, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Oh, oh. Tight lines, everybody. Uh, as they say on the podcast, uh, Mind your back, cast. <laughs>